Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 210 with Hayton Shah of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high-quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am the host of this show and also the CEO of Founder Magazine. I hope you're all having an awesome day, guys. Uh, You're in for an absolute treat with today's guest. His name's Hayton Shah. Uh, And now he was actually introduced to me by one of our previous guests, uh, been on the podcast two times now, Neil Patel. And um, they're, you know, Hayden is an insanely smart guy. He's co-founded, you know, Kiss Metrics, Crazy Egg, uh, a ton of other companies, very, very smart guy. And he's really a, a product guy. He's a, he's a product uh, development guy. He's a, he's a customer development guy. And I go really deep and really challenge him. Um, I'm looking, you know, I'm trying to get these hacks. I'm trying to get these silver bullets. And he, he, he was struggling to get him to budge, but it was awesome. It was a great interview. Uh, I learned a lot myself personally on how we're approaching uh, customer development and product development with all the courses and everything we're doing at Founder. Um, so I was a little bit cheeky and got some, I guess, free mentoring or advisory. Uh, Hayton, like he he was known to actually coin the term growth hacking or be in the same room when that was coined. Like everyone knows what growth hacking is now. So he he's like a veteran. He's really like a, a big, big startup boss, um, well-known in, in the Silicon Valley circles. So that's it from me, guys. If you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. It helps us so much. 
please do share this with your friends. You, I know you must have friends that are founders or entrepreneurs. Please do share this podcast with them. I, we are trying to produce the best content we can to serve you. All right, that's it from me, guys. Now let's jump in the show. All right. So um, first of all, thanks so much uh, for taking the time to uh, speak with me, Hayton. Uh, the first, the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? I don't have a job. I don't have a career. Since I was five years old, my dad told me I should be an entrepreneur. So here I am. I've started my own businesses. I have had one job in my life, which was in college during summer. I was an intern at a medical devices company that my dad knew the founders when they started in the garage. Uh, and, uh, it's, the company's called Massimo and, uh, it's, uh, they actually sell these things at the Apple store and it's what, what, what you call a pulse oximeter. What it does is it's got this technology where you put this thing, this clip on your finger and it measures, measures the oxygen, oxygen level in your blood. And, uh, I was, uh, interning for the IT department there for like two or three months during the summer one year. That's probably the closest thing to a job I've ever had since then. Um, and before that, never had a job in my life. Yeah, wow. So um, tell me about your first company. Because we were introduced by Neil, and uh, I know you guys are basically business partners. But yeah, tell us about your first company. Like, where, where did it all start? So Neil Patel and I are uh, business partners on a bunch of different businesses. And then we have other business partners on other businesses. And uh, we uh, started with a consulting company when he was barely a senior in high school. So he was, it was right around the time when he was in high school, a senior and getting out of high school into college. And I had gotten out of college. I'm about four years older than him. And uh, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, who is now, it's hard to say though, because she's my wife now. But anyways, my girlfriend at the time, um, Amy, uh, is actually his sister. And she said, oh, you know, he's into this tech stuff. You don't know anything about tech, but like, you know about business. So why don't you, uh, you know, hook up with him and like, you know, help him out. And he had a, one customer paying him $3,500 a month for SEO. And so we just decided to start a consulting company right when he was getting in college and I was getting out of college. And, uh, you know, as they say, the rest is history. We've built a bunch of software businesses uh, together and uh, we have other businesses that are not together. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're a family. So that's the that's kind of the story. And the first business was a consulting business doing Internet marketing for other people. Yeah, I see. And, and uh, what ended up happening like with that business? Uh, yeah, we, we, we grew it, but then uh, the software businesses kind of consumed our time. <clears throat> so we, we, we started building a, a couple software businesses, and they just started consuming our time. So we decided to like sort of ramp down the consulting stuff. Mm, I see. And, man, you're like quite um, prolific in like uh, Silicon Valley. Like, I, I don't know, is this true that um, you, you, you were one of the people that coined the term growth hacking? Because, I, I, yeah, like I thought you were more of a product guy, man. That's what I'm really curious around as well. Yeah, so since on the internet we started uh, the consulting company doing internet marketing, I think the first thing I learned about the internet and all that was marketing. And then, um, you know, today I think Neil would say he's a marketer. Uh, I would definitely say I'm much more a, a product person and product-minded than marketing-minded at this point. Um, and the growth stuff kind of happened in the middle uh, where um, uh, a friend of mine, Sean Ellis, and another friend of mine, Patrick Blaskovitz, we were at a bar in Orange County and we were talking about what was happening in marketing. And uh, we together kind of coined the term. 
Sean Ellis is the, you know, kind of, I would say the owner, the, the, the father of the term, uh, for sure. Uh, but he, even he will say that we came up with it together as we were at that bar and it was, you know, his, his evangelizing of it and his, his term. So I wouldn't take much credit for it besides being at that bar and helping, you know, think through the ideas that he had, uh, to come up with the term, but I can definitely say I was there. I can definitely say, um, you know, I was part of that process and, uh, yeah, uh, that, you know, again, another one of those, the rest is history. Like there's been so many of those in my life, man. Like it, it is what it is. Like it's, it's just, it's just being in the right place at the right time and, and having the right conversations to be honest with you. Mm, yeah. Amazing, man. So, um, you know, you, you started, you know, kiss, kiss metrics, uh, crazy egg with Neil. Um, they, they, they're like quite notable SaaS products. Um, was there any like I know you're 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 an investor and advisor. Um, was there any others that you've built that I haven't named or or that we we we've we've built a ton of stuff over the years. I mean, there's uh, one we bought called Hello Bar. Uh, there's uh, one called Kiss Insights that turned into Qualaroo. I mean, here here's the oh, thing, wow. right? The we mo- were buying Qualaroo yeah. too. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we 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 built Kiss Insights. Well, out of, from Kiss Metrics, and then we sold it to Sean Ellis, and he renamed it to Qualaroo. And, um, we, you know, I I would say this, there's three major trends in internet marketing that we've definitely pushed forward. And, you know, I, you, you could, you could say that we pioneered, created, invented, whatever you want to call it. One is we, we were one of the first to create a heat map and popularize it. We were the first to popularize it with crazy egg. We were the first to add people-based tracking to an analytics product with kiss metrics. We were the first to pop up a single question survey system on a website. There were a lot of other like customer satisfaction, like big, you know, take over your page, you know, center of the screen thing. Ours was just ask a simple question to the visitor in a little pop-up on the bottom right, bottom left of the page. And now obviously these three things that I talk about are everywhere, right? All products in those categories. If you're doing surveying, there's no way you don't have a pop-up survey, right? If you're, if you're doing uh, analytics, there is no way you're building an analytics tool without tying users and people to it. And if you're building some kind of tool to help people understand the user experience on a website, there's no way you don't have a heat map, right? So like, look, all those experiences make me a product person is what, the way I would say it. Because I, I can easily take responsibility for, you know, whether we, we you know, created that and, you know, made it. And, and I know Neil, in some cases, has been super helpful. Like with Crazy Egg, I would say that I definitely have joint responsibility with Neil on creating the heat map and coming up with ideas and working with the team. But with all the other ones, like that was like very much like just the way I think about the world. I want to solve a problem in a new, innovative way that no one else has done before and that is better than anyone else. And it's almost like my Achilles heel. Because for me, I don't like entering markets where I have to go like chase people or compete and add all the features other companies have. It's just not my natural mode. I have learned a lot about that and have gotten better at not being like that and like willing to add features that other people have and all that. Cause I think it's harmful to be very dogmatic about certain things or most things. So, um, but yeah, I, I would say that product person really focused on like, how do we solve the problem better than anyone else? What are you, what are you working on right now that you're really excited about? I get, I can get excited about any of the things, any of the businesses I'm involved in. I have many different businesses I'm involved in. Uh, we're working on Crazy Egg right now. Uh, we don't work on Kiss Metrics at all, Neil or I. 
then I have a, a new uh, brand called Product Habits where I teach people how to create software and there's an email list there and we're sending emails every week, multiple ones to teach people how to do surveying, how to do user testing, how to do this stuff really in depth. And we just got done doing pricing research. And through that process, we've been building a few of our own products. One of them was launched last year. There's a new one this year that uh, is sort of like in the same market of the document space. And what we learned is that the number one problem people have with documents is finding them. So right now we're building a tool, a product. Uh, it'll be launched uh, in the next month or so. And it's called FYI. And it helps you search and organize all your documents in one place across all the tools that you use uh, or, all the app, or all the apps you use. We call them apps because it's like Dropbox, Google Docs, Confluence, Slack, um, you, know, you name it. Uh, we, we, our goal is to connect to it and give you one place to find everything that you need to find. So that one gets me the most excited because it's, it's the newest one. It's one where we've spent a lot of time researching it and really nailing the product experience, at least the initial one. And people seem to agree. There's been many different folks who have been in the last couple of days because it just got released uh, like privately. Uh, and the people have been tweeting about it and saying, oh, it's, it's really helping me. So, you know, I, I love that. I love to be able to create something that actually helps people. And they, they say it unsolicited because that's when you know you're onto something. Mm. So like talk me. Talk me through like how you like, let's say, cause like with the, you, it sounds like you, you know, you're, you've, you've built a lot of software, a lot of SaaS products. Like talk me through, like, let's say you, 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 you've come up with an idea or you've found a problem that needs to be solved um, or it's something that excites you that you'd want to solve. How would you go about it? Like, you know, your dev team, are you going to self fund it? Are you going to pitch it to VCs? Like, like what, what would you do? Like for this, for example, this, this document finder SaaS product, like how are you going about it? What talk me through the process? Cause I, I, I'm quite curious, like where do you get your devs from? Are you going overseas? Are you going locally? Are you using internal? Like, yeah. So I, again, I don't like being dogmatic about most things. I've learned that the hard way, like the more, the more stuck you are in your ways, the less likely you are to win and succeed. Right. So for, for us, like a lot of times we'll start out very efficiently and luckily we've built software businesses. So we know a lot about building software, um, on our teams. We, we work with people we've worked with before on engineering because my co-founders and I, whether it's Neil or, or my other co-founder Marie on, on these new businesses, Neither of us are technical. I definitely fake it. Uh, and you wouldn't believe how easily I fake it. Um, but like, I fake it. Like, I have to understand these things. These, this is my business, right? I created these things. I love product. If I don't understand how these things work, then, you know, even though I can't write code, I, I need to understand like the nuances of everything. So for me, it first starts with just an understanding of software and the technologies and like all the trade-offs and, you know, having a lot of empathy for the engineers and what they deal with every day. That, that's honestly the start of it for me for any software, if you're going to build software, start learning about engineering, like just start learning what they deal with every day, what decisions they have to make, then you'll understand how you can help them. Um, so that's a big one for me. And I'm not, I'm not dogmatic. Like I, I don't think it's about having a dev shop or doing things in house or having one way to do it. Usually we will build teams that are a hybrid of outsourced software to one or two or three different development shops, as well as in-house engineering management, as well as some engineers in-house. And then you know, um, we, we split it up, right? Like in our FYI product, we need to connect with a ton of tools. We need to connect with a ton of software, a ton of apps, use their APIs. It is probably more efficient for us to do that through many different resources, not just internal people, right? So it's, for me, it's the best way 
to get the job done as efficiently and at, at the lowest cost possible and at the highest quality. You know how they say you can't be like low cost, high quality and cheap? I say fuck that, excuse my language. You can be low cost, high quality and what is it? Low cost, high quality and fast. Sorry, low cost, high quality and fast. It is possible. You just have to know that's what you want and then figure out who's going to get you that. So to me it's like right right, you know, and and you went into the dev side, right? I I do feel like that's important. But to me, what's more important is nailing the problem that people have. And there are many different ways to do it. If you're good at sales, go sell it before you build it and realize exactly what you need to say to get someone to want to buy it and then go build it. If you're good at like product and design and research, like I am and like our teams are, go research it, go build prototypes, go do user testing, go figure out exactly what the problem is, present solutions, find the best solution for the problem. If you're good at marketing, go throw up landing pages and Facebook ads or social media traffic at the landing pages and test different variations of copy and value prop until you nail it and then go build it. So this is the way I treat everything, which is like people have different skill sets, but all of us, regardless of what we know how to do or what our main skill set is, we can go discover problems and know that they're the right problem to solve before we build too much or build anything at all. That's the secret. You want to know the secret? Your audience wants to know the secret? That's it. The, the hard part, nobody wants to do that. Everybody wants to build something. Everybody wants to make money like overnight. That's not how this works. I'm sorry. That's not how this works. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. You and I have talked before. You love research. You love speaking to your audience and all that kind of stuff. And But that's just one way, right? You can do it with marketing. You can do it if you're a salesperson. You don't have to have this whole research mentality. You just have to know that you need to find the problem that people are willing to pay for. And you have to make sure it's the most important problem they have. As many would call it, you know, it's a painkiller, not a vitamin. As many would call it, it's the hair on fire problem. That's what you're looking for. Yeah, I love that uh, painkiller versus vitamins. Uh, that's a great way. And like, how do you know when you've nailed it? You said like when you've nailed it, how do you know? Is it like, like what would you so that what you would call product market fit? You've nailed it? You know, I, I'd say I'd say I'm experiencing a little bit of that right now with the FYI product where people just unsolicitedly want to tweet about it and talk about how great it is and how much it's helping them. People want to, so it's not, the product market fit is really word of mouth. Mm. I see. And one thing that always trips me up, man, is like you read how some people say like, you know, you can do as much research as you want, but sometimes customers just don't know what they really need. And they talk about like, you know, if, if you know, with the car and Henry Ford and like, you know, if, if the, cust- the customer said they would have wanted, you know, faster carts and like, what's your, what's your take on that in terms of product? You know, I think that quote is a misnomer and it's like a misattributed <laughs> quote. It, look, here's the, here's, the, here's the thing. I don't care what a customer tells me they want. I only care about deeply, deeply understanding their problem. So if a customer tells me, I want you to, let, uh, let's say they say, you know, you're a, you're a document tool, like your Google Docs, right? You have spreadsheets, you have Word documents, you have slides, you know, there's many of these products out there. There's Notion, there's Google Docs, there's Notejoy, there's Quip. There's like an, uh, an uh, uncanny amount of the products in the market, right? If the customer tells you, I want to be able to paste a YouTube video into the document, right? And, and I just want it to show up. What do you do? That's the big question. 
most people would be like, oh, they want to do that. Enough of them want to do that. Let's go implement it. What they don't bother to ask is, why does the customer want to do that? Go ask the customer, why do you want to do that? Customer goes, oh, because <laughs> when I paste a link, it doesn't show up as a link. <laughs> okay, when you paste the link, it doesn't show up as a link. But you want it, you want the YouTube video to show up in there. Okay, got it. So you could solve the problem much easier because you don't need to go embed the video in your document. You just need to make the link show up as a link so people can click it. So I, I would say that what the customer says is not as important as why they say it. That's it. And that's the faster horse, all that. You know what? Like, it's not about that. It's not like people say they want a faster horse, but think about it. If people said, oh, I want a faster horse, you say, well, why do you want a faster horse? I want to get from point A to point B faster. Oh, so then it's the job of the inventor, the product person, the business person to be like, oh, how can I get, what's the best way I can create or invent to get people from point A to point B faster? And how do I not get stuck in this construct of what they're used to, which is a horse? Because it's not your job to get stuck in their construct. It's your job to invent the new thing that they get excited about that solves a problem better than the horse. So I hate that quote. I think it's, I think it's like the worst quote out there because it's like it doesn't it doesn't really tell you anything. And and Henry Ford he invented you know what he did this this whole quote stuff like what he invented is he invented the factory line. He he invented efficiency that we still use today. People don't think about that aspect of it, right? That's the aspect that matters, not the fact that the Model T was his, in my opinion. It's the fact that he could make enough Model Ts that the horses became obsolete. That's the key. That's why I say it like that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I love it, man. So, look, um, you know, Neil, Neil connected us um, because uh, we're, we're getting big into the course space. And I, I'm really excited because I think we can build something that found a truly disruptive in the, in the education space for founders and, um, you know, me and you got talking and like, I wish we record this conversation. I said, we've got to get you on the podcast, man. So um, I just kind of want to continue off with what we were talking about before I hit record. So, you know, for us, the value props going to be like, I think in the uh, entrepreneurial and startup space, there's a, there's a lot of rubbish out there and there's a lot of gurus. And um, I think people are really sick of it. And I, I think, I think there isn't really a, a go-to place that really provides entrepreneurial education a really high standard um, where people actually get significant results. And um, I know there's many other uh, online educational platforms out there, but they're not tailored uh, specifically around entrepreneurships and startups and marketing. It's more really just tailored around, um, you know, if somebody wants to learn. So it's really for avid learners or, or really polymaths, you know. So I see I see there's a real opportunity there to build a, a really uh, – quality like a, a well-renowned brand and and also an educational platform um, where you know we like what we've done with the podcast and the magazine convince um you know successful founders that have done things multiple times uh to to come and teach as opposed to you going to learn from somebody um you know let's say it is you know around email marketing and their whole business is is they just make money from selling email marketing courses i think i think there is 
there is a there's a problem that, there that really fascinates me. And um, you know, I mean, you talked about how how should we best approach this from one, not just building a great product, but also building a sustainable business model around this. Because um, you know, the thing that, that concerns me the most personally is, as as we discussed, was churn. Like I know that a lot of these membership sites style uh, websites churn is difficult because. A lot of people join them and they leave and how do you get them to stick around? We know that we need to build a course uh, software or platform to house these courses, but what is what is the, I guess, the pricing model? What is the business model? And, uh, you know, me and you have gone up and back and and uh, let's just continue off where, where I said, like I, I've so far polled our audience and they've said that, you know, because I don't know if a subscription is the answer. Um, and you said you don't believe the subscription is the answer um, to as, as a business model. It should be just the software's job should be to ascend people onto that next course. And you've done a really good job if, if, if that software can recognize and identify that next thing that that person needs to learn and how you can further serve them. Um, so kind of going on from that, I said, we surveyed our audience and they all said, you know, they'd love all of our courses in a yearly or monthly subscription. Um, so yeah, let's just continue on from there, man. Cause I know you're getting into the yeah, online education and stuff like that with your, with your product based, uh, education around building, um, you know, like, like helping product managers be better at what they do. So like, yeah, can we continue on from that, man? Of course. I mean, here's, here's my thought on it. In the education market, there tends to be high churn. That's the bottom line. And churn meaning if you charge a subscription fee, people will churn out at some period of time. So like if you did it monthly, I would say your average is probably about six months by the time people churn out. That's just a fact, right? When you survey people, of course, they're going to say, give me a subscription. I want it all. (laughs) Like they're going to say, I want more. And you're going to say, yeah, we're going to keep adding new stuff, right? So then they're going to feel like it's a bargain or a deal if they get a subscription versus having to buy each one individually. It's just basic psychology, right? But the thing they don't tell you is that they're not going to use the courses. <laughs> they're not going to be able to get through all of them. They're, they're, they don't need to learn that much, to be honest with you. It's just not how it works, right? Like we're not, most of us are not built to learn. So how do I work out? using like all of your experience and drawing from your experience, how would you approach solving this problem? If you really want to provide a subscription and you want to provide one where, where the value prop is you're going to get all of our stuff all the time, right? My advice would be you do two things. One, you still charge an individual price and let people buy any course anytime. Number two, you charge a yearly fee, not a monthly fee if they want the, everything all at once. And then what you get is, you get people who might want to try and buy individually, but then you get that upsell to get them for a little bit more money, get a yearly subscription for all of them at once. So it's almost like, you know, this is just an example, but let's say you charge a hundred bucks for a course. This is, you know, your price points can be whatever. I'm just making it up. And then, and then they get to that upsell page or whatever. You're like, look, for the price of two and a half courses, you can get all 10 of our courses, which is valued at $1,000 if you bought them individually, but we're just going to charge you $250, right? So they look at that like a deal. They look at it like a bargain. That's why they want the subscription. And you say it's a yearly subscription, and we're going to add 10 new courses every year, right? So the second year, they're going to feel like if you added 10 this year, I got 10, but then there's going to be 20 next year. I just pay the same amount of money, and I got double the value next year. So of course, I'm going to pay 250 Here's the thing, though. 
That's just psychology and the logic. As long as you can deliver on the promise, that could work. But here's the thing. You should expect churn on that first year and relatively high churn. Because if you, if, if someone goes through a course and they go through one and they pay 250 and they don't touch another one, they're probably not going to renew for the next year because they, they paid 250 and just did one course. And that's, that's, there's a high likelihood of that in the course business. Mm. So do you think we need to build some sort of tool that bundles, like some sort of tool that impacts founders on a daily basis, like a micro? Yeah, but then you could, you could, you could. I, I wouldn't say it's a bad idea, right? The thing is though, like, what are, you know, and again, this is getting some, we're on the podcast, we're, we're, you know, we're recording this, but like, I'd get philosophical with you and be like, what is you and your team good at? And what can you get revenue on fastest? And what are your skills? Start with that, right? And make, make that work, build enough momentum with that, and then figure out like what you might need to do next, right? If you, th- if you say you're good at software and you're good at the course stuff, sure. Yeah. Build software and do the courses for me. Like, in, in my business with the course stuff, I'm not good at courses. Like I've never done them before until a year ago. I've been learning a lot about how to do them. I wanted to learn how to do them for so many reasons. And I didn't build software in that business, even though I'm good at that, at least like based on track record. I don't think I'm good at it. I think I suck at it. But like, look, when I want to get good at something, I just jump in and I focus on it and I get good at it. But if I want to make money, and I'm and, and I don't and I'm impatient. Then I'll go do what I know what I know how to do best. That's that's my take on it. So it depends what your goals are. If your goal is to learn how to do software and get retention and build the software side of your business first, because you have the patience and you want to learn that. If you don't know how to do that yet or haven't had experience, then do that. But if you want to make money and you already know how to do the courses, why not just like build that and be the best at that in the beginning? And then go figure out where you need to expand it to solve a retention problem or a churn problem or what have you. And there's caveats. If you told me I can go hire the, a person that's really good at software and done it before and I have the capital to do that, then my framework would be, okay, go do that. <laughs> you right? And then do the other thing too. But do five things at once. Go for it, right? If you could hire enough people and your goal is and you can hire people that know how to do it, that there's a tremendous amount of value in that too. But if you're really doing it and focusing and like want to build revenue and then invest in the business, build revenue with the fastest thing that builds your revenue, which tends, which in every case I've seen tends to be what you already know how to do. Mm. And um, you mentioned something like, uh, how come you're really fascinated by education and courses? Because I think it's harder to sell than software. I agree. And I, I, I want to learn how to sell something that's hard to sell. I want to learn what the triggers are, what the, I want to learn about copy. I want to learn about storytelling. I want to learn about these things that if I were just doing software, it's much harder to learn, right? And for me, it's learning. I, I love to learn. And I, but I'm very choosy and picky about what I want to learn myself and put all my time into or as much time as possible. In the last year, I've put all my time into writing emails on an email list, you know, and convincing people to buy a course, teaching people how to do it for free on the email list, right, so that they are into the brand they have learned from the brand and then they are we are building the desire for them to want more and then selling them a course about the same topic right and then learning how to build the audience develop the exact persona and the exact course material these are things i wanted to learn about that's why i did it mm, that makes sense but now you're switching focus from the sounds of it oh uh, we, we we have multiple teams and multiple people so 
we do a lot of the product management work and we do a lot of the, the you know, coursework and all that, my co-founder and I. And then we have a team, a small team of engineers, a designer and, you know, front end like engineering CSS, HTML, you know, like some Python, Ruby on Rails and some back end stuff. And, and we just have a team and it's about a total, including the two of us, there's about nine people uh, on the team and we build, we, we take care of two or three different products. And, and that's about it. Like we, we had our whole course backend built within about 30 days uh, and 10, maybe a little bit less, maybe about three weeks from an engineer and a designer that we work with. And uh, we built all the software ourselves for, for it, including the billing and all that stuff. Um, but they are, they are specifically good. They're specifically good at speed and building that kind of stuff out really fast. It's uh, not got any like crazy bells and whistles, but it sold the course. And the course, you know, sold off of that system and nothing went wrong. It was fully baked and it was good enough, you know, but it wasn't the same as building a SaaS software that needs retention because that requires, you know, many months of effort usually uh, to nail the certain aspects of that that you need to. So for me, like, again, I'll put my, I'll put my best muscle at the biggest problem, right? Every time. And usually it's software. And so even with the course stuff, we ended up building our own backend because everything out there, like we couldn't. We, we couldn't do it the way we wanted to and charge the way we wanted to and things like that. But we also have engineers that can do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would say that the, the teams are small, but we, we run multiple products at once. So that's just something that my co-founder and I uh, uh, just have committed to and yeah, enjoy. Really and we learned impressive. the most that way. Yeah, that's thanks. Re- that's really impressive. Like you can build like stuff like in that short amount of time. And, um, you know, if somebody's wanting to build – like let's say let's say somebody doesn't have a background in software, they want to build a they want a bit of tool, they want a bit of SaaS product, um, and they have an audience, um, and they you know they've they've got the they've got the capital enough to self fund. Maybe let's say a few hundred grand they can self fund. Um, would you recommend to look to outsource that and, and find a good agency and a good dev shop, or would you recommend to hire someone in, internally? It just depends. Uh, I, I tend to, again, like just focus on um, what, what's the right angle for that job or that thing that I'm looking to get done. And, you know, the angle could be that like if I, if I have some, some folks who can do the engineering management or are very good individual contributor type engineers, then I might do it in-house, right? Uh, but a lot of the time, like it's easier to like bid out some software, especially if I have the design work and a lot of the effort around like the specifics of it done. And then go to a bunch of different dev shops uh, or even the contractors and see what they would charge for it. Yeah, okay. That's no, that's all good. Um, so let's switch gears on to back to the product management piece. Uh, you know, um, one thing I think I've got to drill you more on is 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 product design, product management. Like so when what's the common mistake? Because I know you you do a lot of advisory, like what's the common thing that you find when 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 people are trying to build like great products? It, they just um, they don't build something people want. Just that simple. That's it. That's it. Yeah. It look. It's like what I was saying before. Go figure out what people want. Literally, like actually, what they want. I don't mean like the the specific like you know oh you know they want faster horses. I mean like what's their problem? They want to get from point A to point B faster than the horse can take them. Right. That's what I mean by what they want. What's their core problem? Why do they have that problem, right? They have that problem because the horses can't go fast enough. So the horse isn't going to work, right? You can't make a horse go faster 
you know, than the, you know, uh, maximum speed of a horse. Um, so like, yeah, I'd say people just don't realize that what they've built, nobody cares for. They don't spend the time to go figure out why people don't care. They don't spend the time to go figure out, is this product really solving a problem? They don't go spend the time to go find the problem before they build the product. That's it. The most common mistake I see everywhere is that at the core, they haven't built something people want. Mm. And when it comes to like finding that out, like how, how many people do you recommend to speak to? Do you have a rule of thumb or no? I have, I have no, I have no rule of thumbs on that. I think if you're a salesperson, if you do like 10 to 20 different sales calls in the, in the exact persona that you're targeting in the category <laughs> you're targeting, you, you will, you will get really good data. Yeah. If you, if you, if you are in marketing, then you probably need to get hundreds of visitors to a landing, a, a few landing pages to see which one resonates the most, right? Maybe thousands, but you can do that if you're a marketer, if you're doing product development, then what you're really doing and you're into product, what you're really doing is like, you're basically learning through mock-ups and prototypes exactly what resonates with people and what doesn't. Because you, if you're product oriented, you're generally going to create flows and experiences and test those experiences before they're ready. So, so, and that might be like, you know, 20, 30 user tests, right? One by one, or it might be 50 customer interviews to find the problem if you don't have mock-ups, right? So it's really just like thinking through what's the best way for me and, and how am I going to solve this problem of really understanding what problem people have in this space that's causing them the most frustration. That's the number one problem. I can't stress that enough. If you don't solve the number one problem your customers have, don't even just get out of business. Don't do it. Don't worry about it. It's not worth it. Mm. And when it comes to like, um, another question I'm curious around, cause like we're just starting to get into like, we're, we're going to build our own software, like course software, right? And, and to house the courses and do all this crazy shit. Um, I can already see already there's going to be just so much like feature creep, scope creep, like what's your recommendation on keeping all that stuff contained and simple and like what do you mean by that what's your challenge well we're already looking at like okay like what what, what we can add this we can add that we can add this we can add that and and like i was just like no we just got to strip it back like just keep it as simple as possible and then i know when we launch it there's going to be you know all these requests and there's going to be you know all these different things like how do you know like when you're building out your product roadmap like, how do you know what to add, what to keep, what to remove? And, and yeah, I just think, because it's really fun and exciting too, you know? Yep, totally. So I guess, yeah, like how, how do you ensure that you add the right things or like, you know, you you, you don't have scope creep or, or like just, just too many things and, and your tool can eventually become bloated. I'm not going to like name names, but I there's plenty of SaaS companies out there that, that they just add too much stuff and they're just too bloated, too complicated. And, and I think that's an easy trap to fall into. That's what I've seen just already when we're just starting to spec this thing out. What's your, what's your advice? What's your recommendation? How, how do you approach to make sure that you, like the tool doesn't get overcomplicated or too bloated? And, and how do you know which features to add and which features to keep and to develop that product roadmap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Um, such a... Uh complicated thing to be honest um and 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 everyone like has challenges around it and it's 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 really really a smart question 
product development is two things in my mind. Number one is constantly learning more about your audience, your customer base than anybody else possibly can know about them. A lot of people would say, you want to know what they ate for breakfast, even if you're not selling them food. That's the concept. That's that, and that part is not creative. <laughs> it's not creative at all. It's actually very basic and people have a hard time doing it. For example, if you're on a customer call and your idea, your goal is to just learn from them, what percentage of that call is you talking versus the customer talking or the prospect or the, you know, just the interviewee? That tells me everything I need to know about how good you are at learning from customers. You should be talking five to 10% of the time at most. Hardest thing to do, my friend, hardest thing to do. Uh, so that's one. The second piece of it is about creativity. You want to put your creativity on the hardest problem only. The right problems, the hardest problems, because that's where you deserve to put your creativity. That's what deserves your creativity. What I see people doing is like, they'll create what I call like a feature shit list. That means that they have these million features they want to build, but they have no basis for how those features solve the hardest problem that they discovered their users or their customers have. I know I'm like a broken record talking about the problem. It is all about the problem. It is all about figuring out what's the most important problem people have and then maniacally throwing your creativity at it. But you cannot do that if you're throwing your creativity at everything. You cannot do that if you think your customer has 100 problems that you have to solve for them. You can only do that if you believe your customer has one problem that you will find that you need to find that you can throw all your creativity at. And that will lead to the prioritization you're looking for. So if you're building a course, in my opinion, the number one problem you want to solve that aligns with your customer and your business is them actually achieving the outcome you are promising them when you sell them the course. So it's essentially course completion that I would be maniacally focused on in that market. Because if you are not maniacally focused on that, then you will have a very low completion rate and you will have very low satisfaction. Mm, and that's yeah that's 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 kind of you know, where we're, we're thinking like the goal's got to be but yeah yeah it's um so tricky man so tough like can you tell us about a time or, or some products that you've worked on or some startups that you've worked on where they've failed be, and and the reasons why because it's so hard like you know this stuff is so hard i think like i think i think SaaS is the ultimate business model that's but it's one of the hardest ever as well because it's so difficult to find that you know like that thing and i really I, I i have failed when i got a fundamental thing about the customer wrong that i built the whole product around we built one of the first podcast advertising networks I don't even know when, probably back in 2006. And it was called Fruitca it was called Fruitcast. And if you type in Fruitcast TechCrunch, you'll read Michael Arrington's post about it. Well, guess what? We were charging a $250 CPM to the advertisers. Guess what? That's more than radio ads. But that might we not fucked be a bad thing. We, we, no, we fucked up. We didn't know that. That's bad. No, it's horrible. There's no, there's no ROI that anyone knew they could get from podcast ads. And yet we were charging higher than radio ads. No, it was dumb. It doesn't make sense. And this was in 2006, man. This is not when like I was podcasting. This is not when you were podcasting. This is 11, what, 12 years ago now. Yeah, wow. Think about it. Like podcasting was nothing. It didn't exist. 
now it exists thanks to Apple, right? Um, Apple made it exist, by the way. But it, it, it's ridiculous. Like it, we, we had no idea. We were dumb. We didn't go talk to advertisers. We just assumed we were in charge of something and podcasters would be happy. Advertisers would be happy. It's all good. It is not all good. It is not all good. That thing failed. 45 grand or 100 grand later, I don't remember because we spent about a year on it um, and we shut it down. And the, the partner we had who was working on it, he said, I was hoping something magical would happen. So guess what? I don't wait for magic. I make the magic happen. And the way you make the magic happen is by making sure that what you're doing makes sense to the market and people are willing to pay you for it. Mm. Why didn't you just change the price? Like, why, 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 just why, there wasn't, a, it sounds like there wasn't really a market. It wasn't going to work. There yeah, wasn't a yeah. market there. There was other problems, but that was the biggest problem. Yeah, there you go. And, um, you know, I guess because you, because um, you've been around in this space for so long and startups and stuff, um, I'm curious, like out of, out of all like these, like, of all these startups that you've, you've been involved in, um, you know, what, what tends to be the underlying factors that, that make them successful besides having a great product and besides having a great team? Market. Pick a big market. That's probably the biggest lesson I've learned in my life. Pick the biggest market you possibly can. Go after it. Don't, don't be scared. Don't pick small markets. Small markets are not worth anyone's time. Pick a big market. One that is the total addressable market size, whether it's in terms of dollars, if you're focused on enterprise, low number of customers, high dollars, or if you're focused on consumers, it's a high number of consumers, or you're focused on companies, it's a high number of companies you can service. You know, something has to be high or it's not a big total addressable market. So pick big markets. For example, even today, if you built an email service provider, you will make money. <laughs> if you stay in it long enough, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, why do people keep no doing problem. that, man? Because it's a big market, my friend. Everyone needs to send email. It is a big, 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 big market. You know why I'm in the document space? Big market. It's a big market. Everybody on the planet that has a computer uses documents, man. It is, it is probably the first market when it came to personal computers, if you think about it. So the biggest lesson I learned from my co-founder, Marie, is that you have to focus on a big market. She used to work in the alcohol industry at the biggest company out there called Diageo. So it was like spirits and wine and beer and all that stuff. And she was in innovation there, had five different jobs there. Before that, she was at PricewaterhouseCoopers, where she was doing all kinds of, or Coopers, whatever. She was doing all kinds of different business analysis and like restructurings and all the, all these kinds of things. And like the lesson there is like big market or bust because in a big market, you will make money in a big market. Like there are problems to solve that are much easier to find than in a small market, believe it or not. Cause there's just so many people you can talk to and they'll talk to you. So, so your thoughts around when people say the riches are in the niches, what's, what's your comment on that? The riches could start in the niches, but make sure you can go after a big market once you start in that niche. So I'm not, I'm not against anything anybody says about starting small. Don't get me wrong. You want to make sure the market size is big enough, no matter what, though. So like if you, if you start in real estate, right, and you want to start with realtors in a specific area, some would call that a niche, right? But like if your aspirations are larger, you want to know that you can go do that for every single territory on the, on the planet. You got to start somewhere. So this is not an argument against starting somewhere. What it is, is don't pick a market that's so small that by the time you, you, you know, you get like half of it, 
you're making like two million bucks a year, right? Like, this is sorry, like that's not going to get you anywhere. Like I'm, I'll be the first one to tell you. So pick big markets. That's it. Like, pick big, and that that'll help you find big problems. And um, coming from Silicon Valley, what are your thoughts uh, on raising capital versus bootstrapping? I have no thoughts on that. That that would lean me either way. What the bottom line is, like if you can raise money, raise money. If you've never raised money before, make sure you know what you're getting into. What you're getting into is a rat race, and it's not a bad one. It just means you're raising money every 12 months, and you're, you have to set your business up for that. And it is all about milestones and growth, whether it's user growth, uh, revenue growth, market growth, market share, whatever it is that's important, know what that is, set your milestones up, and go. You know, like that, that's, that's the mistake people make. They raise money and think everything's all good. No, no, no. You raise money you have you're in a rat race you have something to accomplish you have investors who want an outcome right treat your business with that sort of rigor if you're self-funded great like go build cash build a profitable business <laughs> you know first and foremost right and and by the way even the venture funded business needs to be profitable at some point right you just get to spend you get to spend way ahead of your revenue when you're venture backed and that, that there's an advantage to that, but there's also a downside because you're on this sort of rat race. You're in the rat race. You're looking to make sure you, you raise a new round every 12 months until you go public or bust or someone buys you. Mm. Yeah, I love it, man. Awesome. Well, look, uh, we'll, we'll work towards wrapping up, Hayton. Um, so I know you've got a lot of projects going on. Where's the best place that uh, people can find out more about yourself and your work? Sign up for my newsletter. It's at producthabits.com. It doesn't matter whether you're a product person, a marketer, a founder, or even working as an admin somewhere. If you have aspirations to grow and learn about products and business, just sign up for the newsletter. I send a, a weekly email that's all kinds of links about tech and software and business that you'll find valuable. Awesome. Well, look, uh, thank you so much for your time, Hayton. It was uh, an absolute pleasure speaking with you again. And, uh, yeah, man. I uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you, Nathan. I'm, I was happy to be here and I love your questions and I, and I hope the audience gets value from this. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.